All right, y'all, make your way back to your seats, if you don't mind. Uh, grab your worship guides and remain standing for the authority of God's word. You should have the passage printed in your worship guide, but as you make your way back to your seat, go ahead and remain standing for the authority of God's word. We're going to be uh, reading from Luke chapter 11, 37 and following. So this is Luke chapter 11, 37 and following. This is the word of God. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and witness uh, and wickedness. You fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside as well or also? But give as alms these things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graved, graves, and people walk over them without even, even knowing it. So let us all say back to the Lord. For all flesh is like grass, glory like the flowers of the field. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. The word of the Lord stands forever. I've never been to Southeast Asia. Some of you haven't either. But we have seen in recent years pictures of what they would call a wet market, right? These places and these, these items for sale. You see these people who are at these booths selling their wares and their goods. I want you to imagine you are in the middle of that market. You hear the people barking, asking you to, to buy certain things. I want you to see the types of people that are around you, the smells, the textures, everything around you. There may be things that are a little bit unkempt, right? Maybe there's garbage cans. Maybe there's smells of foods that are a little less fresh. Maybe you see little kids playing in the mud. I don't know what you see, but you see the market feel. Here is where all of society converges, there in the middle of the, cent in the center. And there in the center of that marketplace and all of the commotion and all of the sights and the smells and the people and the goods, there should stand a person. His name is Jesus, right in the middle of city center. There he is. He's not dodging society. He's not dodging people. He's not dodging the smells. He's right there in the middle. I'm not sure exactly how this unfolded on this day, but we know that a Pharisee walked up to Jesus and extended not his hand, but extended an invitation to Jesus. I want you to leave the city and I actually want you to come to my house. I actually want you to dine with me tonight. You see, obviously this Pharisee, he'd seen some of the miracles of Jesus 
some of he may have be, may have heard some of his teachings. He's overly intrigued by this figure. Who is this guy? And with the chaos and the commotion of the city, he just wouldn't wasn't able to answer all of the questions. But there, in the middle of his house, he could square his shoulders. He could look him in the eye and ask the things he was already wanting to do. But before. Before any of these questions were able to be asked, before all of that, Jesus commits a religious crime. You see, Jesus walks up to a table. He drags out a seat. He sits in it. Maybe puts his both hands on the table. And he says, let's eat. Now, to you and me, that's not quite the crime that we were expecting. Yet, Jesus is in the middle of the city. And he's rubbing up against all kinds of people and things that the Pharisee would deem unclean. And here he is at the table without washing his hands. That's the crime that Jesus commits. Simple hand washing. If you were to take a trip to Arabu, Honduras, which I would encourage you to do, you have this city, this little community of people that walk from their village in or onto the property of Arabu, and the two could not contrast one another. One's full of shanties, the other is immaculately taken care of. The, the groundskeeper is doing a great job. There's flowers, but there's also a washing station. One of the first things that they were able to contribute to Arabu here in Honduras is a station of not two or three, but more like six of these faucets. And the very first thing these kids have to do when they arrive is to go and to wash their hands. So there they are, their backs facing a wall, they're all washing their hands. And like what we have been taught since grammar school is you stand there until you can sing happy birthday. And that's how long you do. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. And you just stand there and you continue to wash. And then when you turn around, you're able to engage in normal conversations and you are able to eat, right? Now, you and I know that this barely even happens at our house. I know I've got some grammar school and middle school boys that barely get their hands wet, right? Maybe like a one millisecond full of water, then they wipe their hands on their dirty jeans, and then they arrive at table, right? This is more like what Jesus did, except for he bypassed everything. He just walked straight into this house. No, not just minimal effort, no effort whatsoever. And the Pharisee lost it. Here's this man contaminated with a, with a city center. And he's in this house and he did not wash. Now washing, 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 washing. This is what the Pharisees were all about. You just look at some of their rules and regulations. They had all kinds of washing laws. We called them uh, purity laws. And so these Pharisees, they would wash before dinner and then after uh, dinner, they would wash before they would touch a cucumber or after being engaged with a dead person. I mean, you just, whatever it is, they were washing in all types of things. Like they were just, they were a little bit OCD, right? And so if you're OCD, you understand these guys. And it's a little bit logical. Who wants to be gross and who wants to be dirty? 
that it actually makes more logical sense when you think about or understand the Old Testament ceremonial laws. There are these actual laws that require you to wash, these purification laws before you engage the, the, um, the temple. And so God's people knew that before I was able to engage God with my sacrifice, I had to go through this ritual cleansing beforehand. The Pharisees knew that, and they understood these ceremonial laws. But what they did is they went and they equated what was true at the temple with everyday life. And so all of life should look like the temple. And that was creating a weight on people that they were not able to keep up the standard. Now, do you know what the word Pharisee means? It means the separate ones. The separate ones. Or the stiff-armed ones. Or the back-away ones. Or the ones in retreat who will move away from you ones. And so these separate ones had all of these laws that would create a distance between them and us. And this word, separate, this was their religious fervor. This was their evangelism because they were clean. They lived a very clean life and they made sure that they lived a clean life. But their one bent in life was to convince other people to be more like them. An irony of ironies, if you were to read a Greek New Testament, it was written not in on an educated level, but do you know what it was written as or in? It's called Koine Greek. Do you know what the word Koine means? Common. And so the very thing that they were the most proud of, to be separate, right? To be superior, to belittle other people for what they are. In all of ironies, our entire New Testament was written in common, everyday, city center types of things. And so this daily existence was beyond the walls of the temple. They wanted to weave the temple laws into everyday life. Why? Because you never know when you're going to be in touch with a Gentile, some unclean person, some unpure person, some ungodly person. And wouldn't you want to wash all of that off? So it made some logical sense. But what it did to the Pharisees is it created a divide between us and them. And there were a lot more of them than there are of us. God loves washing, if we're being honest. The symbolism of a purity washing is wonderful. We would even say this in the Christian faith in which people who come to know Jesus, they are baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And it's wonderful and good. And yet the Pharisees took it too far. Look at verse 39. Verse 39, Jesus looks to them and he says, you've gone too far. Yes, you did not wash before dinner. And the Lord said to them, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but the inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools. Jesus says, yes, on the outside you are clean, 
but on the inside you are tainted. You have forgotten that it is inside your heart that really matters. This is logical, y'all. We get this, this cup analogy. Again, I have like kids and they're always doing the wrong things. So I get all of these examples. Let's think a, a glass of milk that was poured in the morning that was sit on a countertop for not one day's, but seven. Now you walk back to that cup and what shall you find? You don't want to think about it, much less talk about it, so we won't. But we all understand the concoction that you will find on the inside of the cup is much different than what was there seven uh, days ago. But I've got middle schoolers and they really don't care. So they walk up to the milk, right? Like a good YouTuber, right? Dump it out and go, oh well. Pour some orange juice and then swig back. All of you go, eee, nada, right? Am I the only one that thinks that's gross? Right? It's too much, right? It is too much because the inside of the cup is not as important, but more important than the outside. Who cares if it's clean on the outside? But the Pharisees, in accordance to what Jesus is saying, is saying, no, it's the outside appearance. It's the outside facade. It's the value that you have there is where you have gone astray. And you have forgotten the inside of the cup. Jesus says the interior of your life, that is what matters. And then starting in verse 4, 42, he gives us three woes, three warnings, maybe even three judgments. Be careful. And so with this woe, right, he comes back at them. Woe to you if you do this. He's addressing the most conservative people in the city, the most religious people in the city and the most holy people in the city. If you find yourself both conservative and religious and living a holy life, we are, I am more like a Pharisee than any other people group in the Bible. And here Jesus is talking to them, but also talking to me, talking to us, be careful. This woe, this judgment, maybe even as strong as a curse to religious, very religious people because they've separated themselves. They've walked away from something. I read this week that Jesus only yells at one group of people and it's conservative religious people. So this text has more to do with us than I think we would almost give it credence for because we too look on the outside. We too look at appearance. We too look at what we are able to accomplish more than what we look on on the inside. And so what is he woeing about? Let's jump into the very first one in verse 42. Jesus talks about this in verse 42 or starting verse 41. But give his alms those things that are within. Behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you Pharisees, 
For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. Jesus starts his very first woe talking about money, financial giving. In the old days, we call this charity. Being able to look at a portion of your income and to say, that does not belong to me, that belongs to the Lord. And he's looking at this benevolence and he's looking at this compassion and he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. You have got something backwards. You see, generosity has always been near and dear to our hearts. Not just our hearts as in Redstone, but Christians in general. For the last 2,000 years, we have been defined by generosity as much as almost anything else that we've been able to contribute to the city center. Think about the land that was purchased and then churches that were built upon that land. Think about the hospitals and the universities and the orphanages. And we can continue to go on and on and on about what Christian charity has done for the life of the world. We're known for the fact that we give up our things. And so if you are mentally ill or if you are the like if you are on the outside of society guess where you will fi- who you will find a christian giving up their life for you verse 42 tells us there's a call and it says you need to continue on this path what you have done you ought not stop doing And so at Redstone Church, right, this is what we do. We call this, what Jesus has called it, a tithe. So what is a tithe? He tells us that you're very good at tithing even the smallest things, like these herbs. Like I don't even know know what rue is, but these guys did, and they gave one-tenth of rue back to the Lord. In a most like crazy analogy, I believe, Jesus is saying, if you have a plant, a basil plant, with 10 leaves, you would walk one of those leaves to the temple. Or if a plant only produced one leaf, you are going to split that one leaf 10 ways and take that one-tenth back to the Lord. They were totally strict on these types of things. They were expert givers of back to God. A tithe is an Old Testament word for one-tenth. It's that simple. Leviticus 27 gives us some rules on which we are to give back to the Lord. And so let me ask you a question. Have you made some type of income this past month? Has anything come your way? Now, what do you do with the income that has come your way? The idea of tithing is that you take that income and you divide it. And there is a tenth of that income that then belongs to the Lord. It seems archaic. It seems crazy. But this is the Old Testament and the New Testament idea of what tithing is. So let's just say that we're, 100, we're, we're doing a great job at that. And you take that tenth and you give that tenth to Redstone Church. Great job. So what then should Redstone Church do with that 10%, right? So we gather the collection, which we've already done, and then we take it, and there's two different things that we do with that money. Number one is, in the Old Testament and in the New, is that we take care of God's house. 
And so God's people and God's house and the facility and the people it takes to run, this is where your tithes go. And secondly is this idea of compassion, this idea of charity, that everything that you give should then be reallocated back toward and on mission on sake for us. That's what happens to your money at Redstone Church, and we should be okay with that and good with that. So that's the good part of the story. Here's the bad part of the story. In the United States of America, U.S. tithing numbers, between 1990 and 2015, the New York Times reported that overall donations going to faith has dropped 50% in just that span alone. That 50% of the population give at least $1 to a religious organization. That part is good. Here's the bad part. Of people identifying as Christians inside the United States of America, collectively, as a people group, those people who say, I'm a believer, we contribute $5.2 trillion annually as far as income. Meaning if of the 5.2, everyone tithe, that would be an annual gift of $520 billion into the coffers of God's mission. As you can guess, we don't hit that mark even by a lot. In fact, uh, health research funding did a little scrounging around and it says that's 25, somewhere between 25 and 10% of of all churchgoers uh, only give, meaning 70, somewhere between 75 and 90% of all churchgoers do not tithe. If you reduce it down, it gets even worse that the average gift of an average churchgoer is $17 a week. That's the state of America. Now, I don't want, I don't step on any toes here. Right? There's more to this passage than just giving of the gifts. But if you made a dollar this last week, have you considered where that dollar goes? Are you spending all of it or are you reserving a portion of it to give back to the Lord? We know that you can't go from zero you know, to 10% overnight. We get that. So let me give you some categories to, to walk this thing out in faith it, because we're all, we're being sanctified and it's okay to grow in this. But if you are a non-giver or an irregular giver, meaning it's sporadic or non-existent, as the finance team has looked at these terms, we want to move you from an irregular or non-giver into a regular giver, meaning there's just consistency to that. And if you need tools or if you need somebody to talk with, just know that we can offer up our, our, uh, our finance committee to them to help you along this way. Now, if you are a regular giver, meaning that you are consistently giving to the Lord, we would like to move regular givers into tithers, meaning those people who have looked at their check every single month and said at least one-tenth of this check belongs back to the Lord. And again, it's going to take some time for you to be able to do this. It's not going to happen overnight. But the second stage of growth in your life is to go from a regular giver to a tither. And then for tithers, just know that's where the rest of the passage is going, is to go, if you're a tither, to go to be an extravagant giver, not just with your money, but with your life.
So ouch, right? Ouch. That's some application. That's some application. But we believe that everything that has come to you was first a gift from God. That we are only stewarding those gifts to him. To make the practical application a gospel application. In 1 Corinthians 15, guess what Jesus calls himself? The first fruit or a tithe. He gave him his very self for us. So that's one part of the story. The second part is that the Pharisees were amazing tithers. He's not even getting on to them for, for that. In fact, if we stopped there, it would only be a math equation, right? So what did they lack? Sure, you are good with tithing your mint and your rue and every other kind of herb, meaning like all the way down to your very like herb garden, you're tithing those things. And yet you neglect justice and the love of God. And so in here, he's coming after us with both our wallet and our lives. He doesn't even stop with those people who are being obedient to tithing, but he's actually telling us to open up in our entire lives, to look at around us, to move back to the city center, and to look at the very types of people that we should love unconditionally. And who are those? full of justice and love, meaning toward those who are experiencing injustice and toward the unlovable of the world. And this is the thing that the Pharisee could not do. They were the separate ones. They were the insular ones. They retracted. They did not move forward. And to this, so there were no orphans and there were no fatherless and there are no poor. And there are not those with communicable diseases or those who were at the gutter of society. Not those who are doped up on opioids or those who have neglected their children. There was no one to be found for them if you lived inside the Pharisees. For quote, those people were untouchables. The Christian ethic is not just coming for your wallet. It's coming for your life as well. If you're considering Jesus, just know it is way too expensive to be a Christian. You'll go broke living this type of life because you'll give and 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 you'll give. Not out of obligation, but out of the outpouring of your love for Jesus. For he who was rich became poor for us so that we who were poor would be, be made rich. It is out of the overflow out of our understanding of what Jesus Christ himself has done for us that we likely give our wallets and we give our lives. And they are both on par so that we're not Pharisees, we're Christians. And Christians are defined totally different for we love the Lord our God, with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that is where we're going to find the depths of joy. That's where we're going to find full fulfillment is this idea of sacrifice over and over and over. When you let the sacrifice and the generosity that happens in your wallet actually spill over into your life as well.
Now that's a good litmus test. The injustice and the unlovable, have they gotten a sacrifice for you? So when part of a role of a local church, because some of us can flounder like, I'm not sure what to do now, I feel a little bit convicted that this should be like this, is to give opportunities. And so for us, we have two very practical ways. Number one, we have ministry partners and global missionaries. People, real boots on the ground, people that are doing this life, who are engaging the people, who are in the injustice and the unlovable category and doing really good work there. And so if you want inner city work, guess what? We have an access for you to engage the inner city here in Johnson City. If you are more prone to crisis work, guess what? We have ministries that are engaged in crisis. If you love prodigals, people who are just making their own way, we are coming alongside ministry partners that have these at their very heart of what they do. We are to give our lives and not just our wallets. I really dread the year 2024. You know why? It's a political cycle. It's a presidential cycle. Then here we go with all of the ranting and the raving and all of the debates and all of those things. But I actually like politics. My father was in politics, so I actually kind of like it, and I get a little bit of a high just watching it all happen. But I cringe when I think about where we're putting our money. In the year 2020, the United States of America and her individuals gave $8.7 billion for a one-day vote that would come and go in literal one day. Eight. billion going toward candidates that would promise you the world and always fail. That's not their fault. It's just the way the apparatus is built. It's too much pressure for anybody. And so God's people, for some reason, have gotten in this vein of things. And we are more sacrificial, or we can be more sacrificial for political action committees, that we are our own local church. And that grieves me because we need to be people who are giving toward the things that will forever last and will never fade. We should be giving our lives to things that we will literally see in eternity. And that's the things where we engage in justice, we engage in the things of love. Jesus ends this parable or ends this teaching with a third, his third woe. And do you know what it is? An unmarked grave. There is a grave field in front of them, a cemetery in front of him. And over time, grass and dirt and a road or a city or something has grown in over all of those graves in that we don't even know that they're there anymore. And what he's trying to say is, oh, Pharisees, if you only give your money and you don't give your lives as well, your life will be insignificant. It will lack purpose. You will, be, you will live your whole life, and at the end of it, it will be like an unmarked grave. You will be forgotten. But on the opposite of a woe is a promise. There's a promise for significance, isn't there? 
a promise that we can live our life in such a way, in such a kingdom-minded process, that what we do and what we can contribute will never die. That's the promise of what Jesus has done. You invest here and it will last for all eternity. You tell me an investment that will give you that type of yield. It's impossible. And so Jesus is getting beyond our wallets. He's getting to the inside of the cup. And he says, I really want your life to be full of significance. And it's when our lives is aligned with Jesus Christ, who in grace sacrificially gave everything for us. The reason you're here, whether you know it or not, is because there's someone back there who did what he said he was going to do and he fulfilled all the promises, which included laying down his life for us. There's the God-man back there who promised that he would not just save your souls, but also free captives and heal others to welcome people from the outstretches of society onto a table that they've never been welcomed to ever again. That's the type of society that he is creating. It is called the kingdom of God. The reason you're here and here, we're here is because of the grace of God. And grace means favor. Grace means exceeding. Grace means a gift upon gift upon gift. What's a lousy 10% and a death certificate? It's nothing. We can give both. And so we don't want to be Pharisees. Pharisees were just good at one. We want to be Christians. We want to be both. Sacrificially awesome with our wallets and sacrificially passionate with our lives. And so what brings significance to your life today? Where are you, quote, investing your life? Jesus says that if you're only investing on what people can see and never get to the inside of the cup, it's only half the problem. We want to be full Christians, invested our whole lives for the sake of him. Let me pray for us. And so, Lord, this is a, these are hard teachings. There's, there's a bunch of woes in here. But this is for our people today. It is not by accident we believe in your good sovereign will that you had all of us here this morning. You will have other people listen to a podcast later. You'll have community groups discuss this further. Lord, this is not by accident. For too long, Lord, we've done what we've wanted to do with our lives and our money. And we haven't found our lives and our money aligning with you. And so if that's you today, if you find yourself a Pharisee and stopping short with only a contribution this is a moment for you to confess, Lord, I've only come half of the way. Will you now use my life to engage the unlovable, those who are experiencing injustice right now?
And there's some of you in here that have wallet problems. That's okay. Tomorrow's a new day. We pray that through a text like this, oh, oh, even though as simple as it is, that your convictions will start to change and realize that God gave you that money in order to reallocate back to God's kingdom and mission. So maybe that's where you are this morning. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you that your sacrifice was not small, but it was great. Thank you that you didn't go halfway, you did it all. You didn't just live a perfect life, but you died a perfect death. And so as we come to this table, a representation of your grace, your gift, your sacrifice, you gave the first fruits, which is your life for the sake of us. Help us to come to this table full of an expression of joy and thanksgiving and gratitude that you lay your, down, your life down for us. Help your people to engage this table with joy and thankfulness this morning. And it's in your name we pray.